Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Never trust the polls. That's what we've learned over the past, I don't know, decade or so. I don't know where this is going. It's definitely not politics because I think Ryan would rather shoot himself than ever talk about that. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're you're definitely right, Brad. But never trust the polls. In the lead, I think we have... Oh, th- this is where we're going. 1,135 votes at the time of recording. In the lead with a whopping 54.6%. Wow. Of votes of which podcast host has the most punchable face is Brad. Uh, I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah, so that that is on track. I will say, Brad, I thought you would be taking like 60 to 70% plus. Evan in second place. Kath- Catherine voted for me. <laughs> she was like, who should I vote for? I was like, obviously, Ryan, I need to separate myself <laughs> from second place. And she's like, I voted for you. I was like, okay, why'd you even ask? I'm sure Mel voted for me too. Evan in second place with 27.2% and I, I'm sitting at 18.1%. It could flip. We were tight there for a little while. This whole thing's rigged. I need to go out and canvas. I would <laughs> I would have bet anything I had second place on lock. I would have as well. Thank goodness. We, if, if one of us took first it's over It's the Brad, anti-violence folks that just don't appreciate my... Uh, yeah, folks who don't like fighting in hockey, yeah. Yeah. That's funny, man. I'll fight them. You're going to have to start with Catherine. I think she can take you. So that's going to be a tough sell. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am your third most uh, punchable host, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Second most punchable, Evan. No. No. (laughs) Someone actually said the reason they voted for you was uh, because you're too cool to say your last name on the intros, and they felt that you just deserved a punch in the face for that. They've been holding on to that for years then. You've been doing it for years. Yeah. Do you ever regret, you know, falling into that cadence? That, no. That's, no, no not at all. You've never regretted anything in your life, actually. That's a hallmark of Evan. That is true. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have a very uh, fun interview for you. It is not a first-time special guest star, but it is a special guest star. Uh, we chatted with Carter Mazur, last week and we're uh, really pumped to to show you that conversation it was a great time carter's a great dude what a guy really great to catch up with him uh, the last time we spoke to him he wasn't you know as embedded in his pro career yet and now that he is you know, most of the way or halfway through a season with the grand rapids griffins it was really awesome to catch up and see where things are at for him in his uh, red wings progress uh, and everything that's been going on in his uh, professional development so really looking forward to you hearing that conversation uh Otherwise, we have actually quite a bit of news for an all-star break. We have the all-star game itself and the skills competition where Alex DeBrinkett was, I think, robbed of all-star MVP. Not that serious of a thing, but still. Uh, we'll talk about the skills competition, everything else with the all-star game. And then after the Mazer interview, uh, quite a bit of NHL news. So the NHL is headed back to the Olympics. They're also hosting that rumored Four Nations tournament in 2025. Uh, there's quite a bit of news that came out of the press conferences pre-All-Star game with regards to expansion, uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and lots more. Uh, the trade market is staying hot where Sean Monahan was traded for a first-round pick, which seemed almost silly when it was first suggested by some folks, and it happened. 
Uh, McClellan was fired in in L.A. and lots, lots more. So we'll see what we actually get to. I I was really expecting the All-Star break episodes to be a little thin, but mm-hmm. we're going to have to drop some things for next episode. No kidding. All right. Uh, before all that, I want to let you know that the Winged Wheel podcast is hosting WWP Night at the LCA on Saturday, March 2nd, so it's less than a month away. What that is is a partnered event between us and the Detroit Red Wings where we host a live episode of the Winged Wheel podcast right before our Red Wings game at Little Caesars Arena. So when you get your tickets, you get your tickets to a Red Wings game as well as access to that live episode, which features not just us, the host of the Winged Wheel podcast, but also Ken Daniels, lead announcer for the Detroit Red Wings. There's going to be other special guests. There's going to be food and drinks available, merch, giveaways, and more. And you also get a special limited edition Detroit Red Wings Winged Wheel podcast co-branded cap. It's a different colorway than the ones we've handed out in the past. So your ticket gets you access to the game, access to the event, the limited edition cap, and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is the most important part of all of this. Uh, your ticket's going to be put in special Winged Wheel podcast seating sections, so you're going to be sitting with other fans, listeners, potentially some of us, the hosts, uh, and it's going to be a fantastic time, the sixth time we've run this with the Red Wings. So it's always a blast. It's what we really look forward to all year. So wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, or go to the link in the description to get your tickets. Only the first 500 get that co-branded cap. So again, wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, or go to the link in the description to get your tickets today, Saturday, March 2nd, against the Florida Panthers. Who knew that Red Wings fans would have such a cheering interest in the All-Star game? But Archie's dad, Alex DeBrinkett, was the standout. Yeah, it's... He was going to have a lot of attention on him either way, considering he got drafted by the quasi Maple Leafs. (laughs) And obviously with the All-Star game being in Toronto, that's where most of the attention would be. And going into the game, nobody expected it to be competitive. And for the most part, well, it wasn't. You could tell nobody gave a crap about the game at all until the last five minutes, but it did make for some interesting moments, even in the first game. Uh, I think it was Team McDavid scored two goals in the final minute to tie it, and you can tell they were they were pushing for it, two shootouts. And yeah, the Leafs, in typical fashion, didn't show up when it mattered and uh, had to get carried by the debrinkett barzell forsberg line. Whenever there's a, an All-Star game and a Red Wings player is in it, you know, that's not Jimmy Howard. They always seem to mesh really well with a couple random stars from across the league. And not to say that anyone goes to the all-star game and looks bad, but it's like you see a glimpse of what Red Wings stars could be if they had like superstar level talent all around them, like a Tampa Bay or a Toronto, for example. And then you're just immediately thinking, how do we get those guys over here? Like send us Barzell and Forsberg, please. But yeah, I agree. It actually did get a little competitive. Like to bring it, stripping McDavid of the puck, backchecking, like, not every all-star game turns into this, but you can see the moment where the guys decide, hey, no, I, I want to win this, and they skate a little harder. I remember one a while back. I think a Ginla was playing that game. I can't remember which one it was, but there were, like, some light hits being thrown. Like, it, it turned into a good game. I thought for what the all-star game is and can be, which I, I think it has a ceiling to it in terms of what it will be to diehard fans in terms of viewing quality, I thought this was a really good one. Yeah, it's never going to be good just because of the nature of it, but at least this mini tournament format, whatever you want to call it, does give at least a little bit of a competitive spirit. You know, the 
cash prize is great, but let's be honest. We saw Kucherov in the skills. The money doesn't matter to these guys when they're already making seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars a year. But it, it was almost like there was an unspoken agreement. All right, keep the game one, two goals apart, play it like a shinny until the last few minutes, and then we'll giddy up a little bit. There's lots of storylines that came out of it too. And usually the, there's one storyline. It's like, why did I watch this? I am old. This is not for me. <laughs> But this year we get Michael Bublé talking about how he's on mushrooms and trying to explain why that's not weird. Um, <laughs> and then Steve Dangle doing the recovery PR afterwards from the restaurant. Yeah, and Justin Bieber's coat was on my timeline for some reason. Obviously, everyone was yelling about the jerseys again. Everybody hated Kucherov for obvious reasons. A lot of this, a lot of stuff came out of the All Star game, which typically doesn't ever happen unless it's negative. Altogether successful weekend for the I would NHL. Say so. They're going to have a lot of motivation to put the All-Star game in either a warm weather city or Toronto every time. You could probably do the same in New York, but if you're not picking either one of those cities, they're probably going to push for like Vegas, Arizona, something every time. But yeah, there was quite a bit of substance to it, which is again why I was surprised this episode. Let's talk about first uh, to bring it across two games, you know, Brad's right. It's a glorified shinny. Three goals, three assists. I honestly thought he was going to get the MVP, but they gave it to the hometown kid, which is what you do, I guess, with uh, they gave it to Austin Matthews. But I thought, I thought that was DeBrinket's MVP to win. No, it absolutely was. I mean, it's a glorified shinny. Like we said, nobody's trying. And DeBrinket just happened to be on the ice for a lot of goals. And he finished his chances more than some of the other guys yeah. did. And, and that's what it was. And I saw some Red Wings fans legitimately. And I mean, legitimately mad he didn't get it, which is hilarious to me because, again, it was fun to joke about it after. Oh, yeah. I I was having fun with it online after because it's worth joking about. But I I had to specify even in my one post, like, I am absolutely going to be fake angry about this because you've got 20,000 Maple Leaf fans in that building. You give it to the Leafs. If it was in Detroit, I would expect them to do the same thing. You always give it to the hometown guy because the All-Star game is more for the people there than it is for us schmucks watching at home. So... I am absolutely a-okay with them giving it to Matthews. They could have given it to Marner, Riley, Neeler. I don't care. Get the hometown. Another cover. rigged poll, I'd say. Home cooking, man. It's home cooking. This skills competition, I thought it worked. I thought it it was a good callback to what I remember skills competitions being like when I was growing up. It wasn't perfect, and some of it felt clunky and awkward, but it was. they got back to the basics. They did the fundamentals. I thought it it turned out really well. It was a lot better. It wasn't perfect. Uh, they had some pacing issues. For this whole All-Star weekend, it worked out for me because I, I had, for the first time in months, a very not busy weekend. And I was able to judge this entire All-Star game through the lens of kids. Because Hank and Mika watched most of it with me. And that's who this is for. So I wanted to see and. For the most part, it was able to keep a four-year-old's and a seven-year-old's attention. So if that is happening, then it's definitely a step in the right direction. What do you think about Kucherov just flat out not trying? It is what it is. You knew it was a little sad that they put a million dollars on the line and it kind of, you know, didn't do enough to push everybody to try. I get it. You know, hockey players have this, I'm too cool to try vibe. It was a bad look that 
hey, these guys are so wealthy that a million dollars doesn't matter to them. It's not a great look, but it did make for a good plot line of now you have a villain of All-Star Weekend. And he wasn't the only one guilty of it. Don't get me wrong. He was just the most obvious offender. He was cheering on the booze afterwards, which was funny. Yeah, play into it. I love it. We praised Marchand when he does the same thing. And it wasn't necessarily that he wasn't trying the whole time. It was you could see the guys as they realized they were out of it. Mm-hmm. The give a shit was just gone. Yeah. Uh, something actually credit we should have said this but Alex Dabrinkit was there at the All-Star game gave it his effort was the star of the show in my mind and he is he's expecting his second son any day now so he went home to be with his wife uh, waiting for that to like it's very hard to obviously like for players to leave their vacations and leave their plans and leave their families on limited time off during the season but for Alex to do that while his wife was expecting credit to him so uh, best of luck to uh, the DeBrinkets as he went home as they're expecting their uh, second child. That's the All-Star game. I don't think that we can give uh, too much airtime to that. Otherwise, Brad might uh, jump up on the table and throw things. So why don't we jump into our conversation with Grand Rapids Griffins forward Carter Mazur. Uh, his second time on the show, it was great to have him back, like I mentioned earlier. Evan and I had a lot of fun at this conversation. We think you'll enjoy it. So without further ado... Grand Rapids Griffins forward and Red Wings prospect Carter Mazur. Here we are with our first ever interview with a uh, Grand Rapids Flying Toasters player, but I should say a returning interview uh, for Griffins player Carter Mazur. Carter, thanks for joining the show again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. It was uh, it was great to see you last weekend and to see you guys win those back-to-back games against uh, Belleville. And dude, those Flying Toasters jerseys, did the players have as much fun as the fans did with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we were actually supposed to wear white helmets and like we had them in our stalls and we're all like looking around. We're like, should we wear the reds? Like reds would have looked way better, which they did. And luckily enough, we got the red helmets to wear and it looked pretty cool. They were pretty cool jerseys and especially with that crowd, like them wearing them too is pretty awesome. Yeah. What do you guys think when, you know, the the team comes up to you guys and it's like okay this is the alternate jersey we're gonna wear tonight and uh we're also gonna be called the flying toasters like we're guys just like is this a joke like what is going on <laughs> yeah it was, it was pretty funny like we showed up to the rink and actually the first person i saw wearing it was burger and it was actually hilarious he's just wearing it the whole like morning skate and everything so it was kind of funny to see that but it's a pretty cool thing. Like it's what could have been, I think was the night. And like those jerseys are pretty cool. Like we had the military ones look cool. Like I think it just adds something else for the fans to enjoy and take in. That was a, it got to be a chippy weekend against Belleville. And uh, obviously at the end, pretty much the end of the two games where uh, Berggren sullied pretty hard after banking it off them for the empty netter. And then obviously the scrum happened as those like fights and chippiness are evolving in the game. At any point, did you think, Man, it is so funny that we're wearing a flying toasters jersey and dunking on these guys. <laughs> Honestly, no, not there. But it, it was a good uh, chippy weekend. Like that's what we want. It gets you ready for the playoffs. Those are the teams you're gonna expect in the playoffs. So to have that uh, kind of build our momentum and especially come back in that game was also huge. Yeah, it was such a interesting weekend. Like those are the first two Griffins games we've been down to. You know, the Friday nights a little bit tighter of a game. You know, lower scoring chances 
being produced and then saturday was just all out chaos like everybody's scoring the chippiness is up is that like a typical way that ahl games or back-to-backs go where teams kind of feel each other out in the first game and then the saturday game on the back-to-back is kind of more i I hate to say the word chaotic but um a little bit more uh offense is being produced yeah no doubt i feel like you get to get the like real sense of a team on the second night because you played them the night before and you expect it to be kind of more chippy because especially with us, we won the game Friday. So, you know, they're going to come out wanting to tick one and one. But uh, I feel like that is kind of usually how it goes. Like just feeling them out in the first game, even though we shouldn't, we should step on their throats right away. It's kind of our goal, but it usually is like that. And I feel like the second game always has more on the line. Like you want to get the sweep or – you want to split with them and like I see that's how it's in the HL most of the time. So when we talked to you at the end of last season obviously you were coming off of your uh, successful tenure with Denver you had the world juniors and then I think it was six games with the Griffins. Uh, walk us through your off season. Uh, I believe you had some work done to clear up some injuries and then your preparation going into camp like how was that summer preparing for your first year of pro hockey? Yeah it was pretty nice I got a uh, pretty lucky living in Michigan so I got to train out of LCA with all their trainers and all their skating coaches which was huge for me I feel like I was there all summer went to Denver again for pro camp to also get ready skating with like Troy Terry uh, Dylan Grambrell like good players and it helped me get ready for camp and then going to camp felt really excited but then uh, got injured in the prospect tournament which was kind of tough but It kind of worked out in the end. Maybe it was a sign. I don't know, but uh, I'm kind of happy where I am right now. What was sort of the messaging this year? You know, Dan Watson was first time coach for you. Um, Did they set expectations? Maybe what were your expectations for yourself? Like what's that communication look like? Yeah, um, I kind of really didn't have that because I got hurt in the prospect tournament right before camp. So there really was no conversations, but like, From myself, I kind of felt like I had a chance to make the roster. I felt like I was heading in the right direction to maybe make the Detroit roster, but I knew either way I was in a good spot with Grand Rapids. So either way, I wanted to go into that camp knowing that I had a shot and just play my game, and hopefully it got me to that level. But I didn't get that chance, but next year I will for sure. It's good to hear that you you were able to see the positive in that because I know when you got injured, we were all thinking like, uh, you know, you could be one of those guys to make a lot of noise at camp. I know Soderblom did it the year before. Uh, with having that positivity coming into Grand Rapids and once you got into to game shape, uh, what did the coaching staff kind of prepare for you? Did Was there any kind of special conversation uh, or was it just business as usual to say, you know, you're a Griffin right now, uh, let's gear, get geared up and ready to go? Yeah, the goal always is to get to the next level, but you got to kind of take care of business at the level you're at. And that's kind of what I've been focusing on and the coaches want me to do. And especially starting off, I started off on the third line and my goal is to work my way up to the first line. I keep doing that. And I feel like if I keep doing that, then I will be ready to make the next step. And I feel like the AHL is a great start for me because it's a hard league. It's a lot of travel, a lot of games. It gets you ready for the 82 game season and all the travel. So I feel like having this, I'm 33 games in. It's kind of huge for me, and uh, I look forward to keep it going this year. Obviously, now with Dan Watson as your coach, uh, what's your relationship been like with him? He's been on. Uh, he was on the live podcast with us in Grand Rapids, and we've had him on previously to announce that that meetup. 
Uh, he seems like such a good dude. Uh, just wondering what your your thoughts are on him and how that's been going so far. Yeah, he's he's unbelievable. He's been one of the top coaches I've had. He's really personal with the players, and he gets that side too because he was once a player. So I kind of like that as a coach because he understands what we go through on a daily basis, and he also is new to the league just like me. So there's a lot of things we can both learn, and he's just really easy that if you have something to talk to, you can always stop in his office and even just talking about daily life stuff. He's just the best at that, and he's just someone that can make you feel really comfortable in a locker room. Is there any kind of sense of, uh, like, you, you can feel the transition in the team? Because obviously in the AHL, you want to win, uh, but at the same time, a lot of these organizations have to have the job of fostering the growth of uh, the future of their NHL teams, which is, I think, the position that you're in. Do you feel that kind of uh, balance at the AHL level with the Griffins trying to turn things around, but also, you know, foster the Red Wings core? Yeah, absolutely. You can see what the Red Wings are doing this year. It's pretty exciting to see where they're at. And uh, I feel like this year, I was there for six years last year, and there's just a way different feel to the locker room this year. You know, we have a chance to kind of make a run in the playoffs without a doubt. Like, we have a team in that locker room that can take a next step. And we've been doing it the last couple of games, even though we have to come back. Hopefully, we don't have to keep doing that here in the future. But I feel like uh, they are doing a really good job with us, and I look forward to uh, how the rest of the season goes. So obviously, you're now living in Grand Rapids. It was our first venture down there this past weekend. We absolutely loved the city. We couldn't. I couldn't believe the fan turnout for both yeah. games too, and how just much they love that team. Just wondering what your first impressions of uh, the city were, and sort of of the team itself. Yeah, I got a couple family members up here, so I've been here quite oh, a bit, nice. and yeah, it's, uh, so I kind of understand the area already. But it's just been unbelievable. I'm living right downtown. I'm living with Lombardi. We both got a nice little setup downtown, and it's been a blast so far. Like especially games, like so many fans show out. I feel like we have the best uh, rink. It probably is the top rink or top fans in the HL. I feel like so kind of lucky with that, and then also. Like I have family in Jackson, so I get to see him every single home game, and it's just kind of makes me feel even more comfortable. We have more hockey questions, but I need to know what's your like go to spot in Grand Rapids, like your food, drinks, whatever. Uh, go to spot, I would have to say I'm a big sushi guy, so Mara sushi, it's okay. pretty good downtown. Um, I would say the social house is also a good place to go to after games or before a game if you want to pregame our game even though they have two dollar beers on friday for the college <laughs> we're, students we're <laughs> well aware of that now yeah yeah, yeah we did that, some that, damage <laughs> yeah that'll work so i would say those two spots would be my favorite it's kudos to to you guys i don't know i could not be in game shape if i lived and played in grand rapids it's just too good out there yeah it's 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 a blast for sure so through through 33 games, you got 11 goals and 9 assists for 20 points. That's uh, good for fourth on the Grand Rapids Griffins in scoring right now. And I think that's a, a good continuation of you uh, shaking the label of a pure grinder when you were drafted to someone who can have a physical game, but also a, a really uh, strong offensive game. Has that been a focus for you? And, and are you kind of uh, around where your goals were that you set for yourself coming into the season? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, my goal is to put the puck in the net, and I feel like I've been doing that at a pretty good level even though I know I have another level to me it's most of my goals have been around the net I think every single one of them been around the net so I feel like if I add uh, more from outside the scoring box per se 
I feel like adds a lot more to my game. And that's kind of something that I've kind of been focused on recently. I know it's a really hard league to score in. And that's just something that I've kind of been learning and taking from older guys and especially playing with Zarnak Berger and like guys like that, that have already played two years and been successful is also helping my game a lot. So I, I look forward to that too. I know we talked briefly about sort of the balance between, you know, veteran groups in the AHL trying to win versus fostering young talent to promote up to the the Red Wings. Just wondering if there's guys on the Griffins who, you know, sort of took you under your wing, kind of showed you the ropes, taught you how to be a pro. Because um, there are quite a, f- a few AHL veterans on that squad as well. Yeah, it's really easy to look up to people like Nolan Stevenson, whose dad's coached many NHL games and he's played in many NHL games and uh also Brogan Rafferty, Josiah Didier, like they're all great guys too away from the rink and I feel like that's kind of the big part of it is them bringing us outside of the rink to get to know them more as like a person and going out to dinners and just understand more about their family life and life beyond hockey. I feel like that's kind of how you grow as a team mostly because you know, you guys are all good hockey players, but away from the rink is like how much you can care for a guy and that's you're going to care for him on the ice. So I feel like that's kind of been the major thing I've learned is just how they take care of us away from the rink and that helps us grow as a team. So you mentioned Brogan Rafferty. I have to ask, he was called up and sent down, I think, roughly 500,000 <laughs> times. Do you guys laugh about that in the room as much as it, we do, or is that just like the oh, reality? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's funny. Like, I kind of feel bad for him, but he's he's in a good spot. It's kind of funny, but it's something yeah. I can always joke about. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad when you get called up and then you're making NHL money that day, right? So Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think he's too mad about it either. <laughs> You'll have to be making NHL money with the amount of miles and gas he's yeah, probably paying for. Exactly. Drive back Hopefully and they're paying for that too, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, because at the end of the, the Saturday game against Belleville, there was obviously a bit of a dust-up and noted goon Simon Edvinson decided to drop the gloves. Uh, I think the roof was about to blow off the building when that happened. I'm just very curious what, what the group thought of that. Because yeah. that is not the guy I expected to be dropping the gloves in that uh, spirited affair. No, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, you would not expect him to fight, but, you know, he's got the strength, especially I think it was Crookshank who went after him. So yeah. he had a good little nine inches on him or something. So, But it was funny. Like the first punch that Crookshank threw, like Simon just like moved his head back and missed him. And then he's like, all right, fine. Like I might as well go. And then it like just wrestled him to the ground. But I feel like the best part was Berger and like he started it all practically. Oh yeah. And then he and then he just skates over to the bench for a little bit, just sits around while everyone's going at it, goes back <laughs> over, cross checks someone, and then he's like, Ah oh, yeah, probably not for me. And then he gets on the bench and he's just dying laughing on the bench. I'm like, dude you're something else but he, he's awesome but it was awesome like, well he would have taken the smallest guy on the ice but uh, <laughs> simon had picked him first so he had to get out yeah, of there exactly like that was not his fight to pick but it was awesome did you hear uh jonathan uh bouncing around the locker room chanting rocky <laughs> after rocky yeah yeah he's, he's a different character he, he's awesome to have in the room uh talking about berger and edvinson those guys uh, there's a lot of noise around uh nhl ready prospects so to speak and you know you'd like to think that you're in the in the mix but the red wings are in a situation right now where uh, that's a good team you mentioned like they're they're really turning things on especially january they kind of undid a, a terrible december so all that to say that's a full nhl roster and there's not a lot of spots to go around 
you know, you're developing your camaraderie with the, the players, but at any point do you think like, you know, we're competing for the same spots here. Like how does that affect uh, your dynamic? Yeah, it, it does a little bit, but again, like I said, like we're in Grand Rapids right now, so you kind of have to focus on that. It's, it is in the back of your mind that you're really close to playing in the NHL, but they are in a good spot right now. And if your name's called, then you want to go and do the best you can. And, you know, those guys are ready and I feel like they are like on their way and it's hard to say like when and how they'll get there, but you know that they're going to be the next man's up, people up. And it's just hard because like you said, Detroit's in a good spot. And, but if any injuries happen, you know that you have great players to fill those spots and to keep that train rolling in Detroit. When that whole uh, scrum happened, I said to uh, one of the, the Griffin staff upstairs, I was like, this is the most, you know, spirited alive. I've seen Bergeron and Edvinson all weekend. And they looked at me, they're like, this is the most like tuned up. They've been the entire season. Like, what does that mean for you guys in the bench to see those guys just Bergeron jumping around the ice? Like what <laughs> he's is that, always uh, doing that. So it's, it's funny, <laughs> but uh, it is something to see. Like those are, are two of our top players and to see yeah. him doing that, it's easy to follow that and keep that going. So it's awesome. I don't think we've talked about it yet, but, you know, we're at about the halfway point of the season in the AHL. Um, do you have any personal goals for the remainder of the season? What is your sort of focus heading into the second half? Yeah, my focus is I love winning games. That's the best feeling ever. So I want to keep this win streak that we have going, even if it's a little bump in the road, nothing wrong with that. But I, I want to win. Uh, that's the whole reason why I've signed. I want to be a championship on a championship team and I feel like we're headed in that direction and that's kind of my main goal is getting to the playoffs and then going far and kind of getting that under my belt as well and personally I just want to keep doing what I'm doing I feel like I'm doing the right things I just want to keep understanding the league and getting more involved in it and keep scoring and keep doing all the things I am good at. A question about the AHL is that like you get a mix of players who are you know, AHL veterans, uh, guys who have, you know, maybe had a little bit of a, a taste of the show, but more or less, you know, they're in the AHL, this is their league. And then you have guys who are trying to work their way up. Uh, is there kind of one archetype of player that's tougher to play against, do you think? Or is this just like a, a mixed bag? Yeah, I would say it's a mixed bag. It's it's uh, a little uh, kind of chaotic at times. And like, you know, that some people are trying to get to the NHL, but I kind of hate how some players are labeled as like AHL players because I don't really understand that. Like if you're good enough for the NHL, I feel like it's your shot to get to the NHL, even if you're 27, 28. Like it's just something that I don't really like that players getting labeled as. It's just something that I've seen and heard, but it just makes no sense to me. But I feel like it is just a mixed bag. Like it's every player is hard to play against in this league. Everyone's good at hockey in this league. So it's been fun so far. So I can't complain. Yeah, I just want you to know that Evan wrote that question for me. So that's not actually me labeling it. It was his fault. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, so what about the guys who are 33 and don't and play uh, once a week beer league? Like, do we still have a chance? <laughs> hey, you might. Yeah, you might. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. One guy who's really turned it on on your team lately is Marco Casper. You know what? We don't really hear a lot about him. He's got a bit of a quieter personality in the public sphere. Uh, Red Wings got a slight taste of him at the end of last year. Just wondering what he's like as a guy, as a teammate, uh, any sort of thoughts about him? Yeah, he's awesome. He's one of my closer friends on the team too, and he's fun to hang out around. And he's also probably 
I would put him as the hardest worker on our team. He's always on there an hour extra after practice and he brings guys along and he's the guy in practice that picks on every single person. He doesn't give a shit really who you are. Like he'll go after you, which is something that I like. Cause that's also what I do. So we get, uh, we're, we mix well together. I feel like, but he's, he's headed in the right direction for sure. He's only 19 years old. So for a 19 year old to do what he's doing in this league is pretty impressive still. And, He's he's got a lot riding on him. I know, especially being a first first round pick. I feel like that's a lot of added extra pressure. But I feel like he's been handling it pretty well, and he's headed in the right direction. When we were there on Saturday, I was joking that uh, you saw Steve Eisman across the way, just kind of like Phantom of the Opera, come in, come out. Obviously, doesn't want to be seen. But uh, how often do you hear or, or talk to um, like Eisman, Horkoff, Draper, any of the the Red Wings brass? Obviously, Horkoff's involved with the Griffins. Uh, is there communication throughout the season or does it mostly happen through Dan and his staff? Yeah, absolutely. They're Detroit staffs. there quite a bit, every home game mostly like, so we get to hear feedback from them quite a bit and it's kind of a good thing. And it's mostly uh, just like talking about what you can improve and what you can work on. And it's just things that are important for, especially young players like us getting up and trying to get to the NHL. So to get that feedback is kind of huge and, especially you can call them or text them at any time and they'll respond to you. So it's a nice uh, little thing to have in my back pocket or our back pocket per se. And it's just huge. One of my favorite quotes we've ever had from an interview was actually uh, from you from last April, because apparently we have a habit of labeling you. So I asked if uh, you wanted to kind of emulate Tyler Bertuzzi's game and you said, you don't want to be the next Tyler Bertuzzi. You want to be a Carter Mazur for the Red yeah. Wings, which was awesome. And, and we've, we've quoted that quite a bit. You know, as you go through this season, uh, how much are you able to watch the Red Wings? And are there still players on the Red Wings or across the league where, you know, you watch their tape and you say, yeah, I want to pick that up in my game? Or is it just more AHL focused right now? Yeah, I still watch some NHL games for sure. You can always learn. It's it's a game that you can always learn. So I feel like uh, a player that I watch the most, would all, I always say Matthew Kachuk, like, He's having kind of an off year, but not really. Like, he still impacts the games, and that's just how he is. Like, I just love how he's a player that can score, can assist, can do everything on the ice. It's just, uh, he's just a fun player to watch. And then also, like, I do love watching Tyler Bertuzzi, too. Like, he adds just another factor for the lease, even though that's hard to say, but he, uh, he does. And he's, he's a good player, and he's another player that I like to watch. So, so Brian Lashoff jumps right into coaching after his finishes up his career in Grand Rapids. What's it like? Is is it valuable to you to have a guy like that who's you know I'll, I'll sort of say he's been there, done that, and ve- extremely recently? I'm, I'm just curious what he's like as a as a assistant coach who's very much just out of his playing career. Yeah, it's it's funny because he's played with most of the guys on the team, yeah. or against so. He does understand the league a lot, and it's huge to have behind the bench. And he's been running our penalty kill, and he's been doing an unbelievable job. And also, he's just a great guy. Like, it's easy to talk to him as well. Like, our coaching staff has been unbelievable this year. And he's just the guy that also keeps it light and can joke around with you. But he's been huge to have behind the bench. Matt Luff in our on our live show said that uh, he doesn't mind chirping when he's in the A, but in the NHL, he kind of keeps it a little bit quieter because... Uh, Apparently, as you move up leagues, the uh, leagues or the chirps get big league as well. You've noticed that going from the NCAA to the AHL that the chirps got better too? Yeah, no doubt. The chirps are 
a little different, especially being a rookie in my first year. Like I'm a pretty easy target to get at, which is kind of funny, but I, I love it. Like it's, it's awesome to chirp. It's awesome to get under people's skin. It's just the part of hockey because on the ice you can do it. And then away from the rink, you can maybe go out and hang out with the team and nothing even happened. Like, so it's, it's pretty funny. Considering your, your AHL season alone, obviously you've had a, a great hockey career so far, but what's your favorite moment? Could be a goal, could be a moment off ice, but your favorite moment as a Grand Rapids Griffin so far? Oh, favorite moment? I would have to say, honestly, the favorite moment was probably assisting on Lombardi's goal, first goal. I felt like that moment was pretty special, especially we're roommates. So to do that was pretty special. And then I would probably say scoring my first goal as a Griffin was pretty awesome because being a Detroit guy signing with Detroit and uh it's just pretty special to have that on like during my hockey career so I would say those two who's uh who's the biggest smack talker in the games on the team oh biggest smack talker I would say recently I would have to say Bergeron for sure like he just (laughs) it's just funny too like his chirps aren't the best but he He'll, he'll just chirp someone and then skate away and then they'll be mad the whole game because he said something and he's just laughing on the bench. So I'd have to say him or maybe Shine. Shine's up there for it. Oh, too. yeah, he, that he can, I believe. Yeah, he can run his mouth too and he, he, he backs it up too. So I love it. All right, you're not allowed to say Carter Mazer here, uh, but who is the player on the Grand Rapids Griffins that doesn't, you think, uh, get enough attention from uh, from media in terms of like this guy could be a guy for the Red Wings. Yeah, this is the easiest answer for me, and it's uh, Albert Johansson. He's he's probably one of the best. D- I think he personally, I think he's the best D in, on our team right now. He's someone who does it all. Like he doesn't get recognized. He's not a power play guy, but I think he's plus fourteen on the year, which is pretty amazing. And he's just a player that does everything the right way, especially I think his, his goal on Saturday was crazy. He can do oh, things sick. like that. And he's just an unbelievable player. I'd have to say him. And then last point here, Carter, uh, in terms of your game, you know, we talked a lot about you wanting to emulate uh, uh, Matthew Kachuk and obviously you watched Tyler Bertuzzi and, and, and other players. What's an aspect of your game that you're really working on and you think um, you want to kind of improve and make a focus of who you could be at potentially the NHL level? Yeah, I would say the major one, it's kind of off the ice, I would say, is adding weight. Like, that's something that's always I can do. And I feel like if I add, say, 10 to 15 pounds, that changes my whole game, especially how I play. I feel like that's something that would be huge for me, especially playing 33 games already. You notice that you're playing bigger guys. You're playing guys that are already filled out. And that's something I feel like I really have to focus on and dial in is eating and just getting my weight up it's something that's hard I get that it's in my jeans I have skinny jeans for sure but it's just something that I really need to add and then I would say on the ice it's always skating skating is the thing that can take you to the next level and I feel like everyone at the in the NHL has unbelievable skating so I feel like that's something that we really focus on and we really focus on it here as well we're skating every single day so with uh skating coaches so it's been a major focus of mine and if we move to grand rapids we can help you put on 10 to 15 but it won't be hey. good <laughs> it's not it's I'll not t- healthy I'll t- weight that's for <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll, I'll still take the 10 to 15 <laughs> <laughs> and then an actual last one here we were uh we were saying with matt luff he was uh, watching that hole in one challenge jersey jerry where he put it in and we said if we do a fundraiser over the summer 
maybe in a simulator if we tried to do the same uh, will he come out he said yeah do you golf would you be up for it oh absolutely i'm a big golfer he, he's a really good golfer but I, I would absolutely be down to do that that would be a good time do you think you could do it in less than 2600 oh strokes? my gosh i don't know i feel like simulators it depends I don't want to say yes, but maybe I would say that's maybe. A, that's what we were like, struggling with too. It's all about you know the endurance and you know keeping your hands from blistering and falling apart. I yeah, I feel like it's more of the support system behind it. That's why he did it, and I feel like it has to be just keeping the endurance and keeping he had like the hands. a physiotherapist in there with him working on <laughs> yeah, it to keep them together. Chiropractor, he had everything, but it was funny to see. All right, well, I feel like now we have to plan that. But for now, uh, Carter, halfway through the season, enjoy uh, this little rest you have here and then the All-Star break. Uh, looking forward to talking to you again, man, and good luck for the rest of the season. Appreciate you coming awesome. on. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. And one more thing, I, I want to get one of those hats you got on. They're pretty sweet. So We'll get one sent to you right away. <laughs> Definitely. Perfect. All right. Thanks, brother. Yeah. And welcome back. That was our interview with Carter Mazur. Uh, Great to have him back on the show. Thank you to Carter for taking the time. And we have another interview for you next episode, which will be a first-time guest star. And that one is going to be – that one was a a long time in the works. So really excited for that to continue, uh, hopefully to bring you some uh, different content over the All-Star break. So uh, awesome to talk to Carter. And let's get into the rest of the show here. You know, I mentioned earlier a very newsy episode, uh, like very surprisingly because it was over the All-Star break, but – it was announced first accidentally by the IIHF and then formally by the NHLPA, the NHL, etc., that the NHL is returning to the Olympics officially, guaranteed over the next two Winter Olympics in 2026 and 2030. NHL players are going back to the games for the first time since 2014. So it will have been a dozen years since we saw NHL players at the Olympics, but we're finally getting the best-on-best international tournament Back. There's more to it in terms of international tournaments, but let's talk about the Olympics here. How big is this news? For the sport, it's huge. You know, the NHL did it begrudgingly, but it's free advertising on the biggest stage imaginable. No simpler way to put it. And, you know, player injuries and shutting the season down be damned. This is only going to grow the sport. And a, for a league, we want to talk about the NHL specifically. That could desperately use the help in every sense in that department. Every other major sports league, other than the NFL for obvious reasons, participates in their international events, whether it be Olympics or the World Baseball Classic, Classic, whatever whatever that is called. <laughs> I'm impressed that you were getting there, honestly. I know. <laughs> me too. Me too. And I think when they saw Mike Trout and Shohei Otani going, dueling oh. it out, I think that was very much, okay, we need to do this because look at the storylines this is creating. And the players wanted this. They have been not silent about wanting to be back at the Olympics. And to me, it's clear the NHL cannot replicate the magic of the Olympics, whether they believe that or not. So I think this is a long time coming. Obviously, like you said, it's been 12 years. Lots of what-ifs have been lost in those 12 years but better late than never. So I know there's some geopolitical uh, tension in this announcement, but as a fan, this is exactly what we've been asking for, what the players have been asking for, and the NHL has finally gotten out of its own way. 
Yeah, in that point you made there, obviously the Russia question is a big one. Uh, there's no answer to that right now, and the, the answer is not going to come on the Wayne Wheel podcast, I promise you. And that's not because we have an aversion to politics, but it's like we don't know what the right answer is here. There's a lot of credence to every side of this argument. You can be mad at us for saying that, and, and I'm sure folks will be, because there is a lot of anger on every side of the argument. So that still has to come, but ultimately, I think Evan's right. You can't let that stand in the way, and as a league, you have to get out of your own way. I was very impressed and surprised at the limitation to using this as a bargaining chip in the public space. That is something I was expecting a lot more of from the NHL versus the NHLPA, like uh, antagonistically against them. And I'm sure there was a lot in the background and there was some publicly too, but it seems like Gary Bettman, the NHL, they just understand that this is what fans want. They, They can't ignore it forever. Down the line, if they get this whole World Cup of Hockey that they control thing uh, consistent and operating every year and not just four nations, et cetera, I am positive they'll take another angle at working against the Olympics to try to just control all international best on best. But as of right now, it seems like they understand they they had no choice. It doesn't matter how they feel about it. They had to do it. Why ignore a conduit that's already established, right? Like. The Olympics has the the broadcast. It has the reach. Like the Four Nations Cup and the NHL run World Cup of Hockey isn't quite there in terms of international reach. So, you know, take the Olympics for now. See if you can't up or scale up the Four Nations Cup and the World Cup of Hockey, and then see what you're where you're left. But as a fan, this is what we've been asking for. And you mentioned like a lot of what ifs that were left behind. And it's not just the the one that gets brought up a lot is Canada, like McDavid coming into the NHL, who was, you know, immediately a superstar and Crosby as close to his prime as possible. I still think you're probably going to see McDavid Crosby. Apparently Crosby's prime is ongoing. <laughs> LeBron James level aging in this league. Uh, but it's not just them. Like if you're Team USA, how many unreal rosters have come and gone in years where you would have had probably the best odds going into the tournament because Team Canada's goaltending was just absolutely nowhere to be found. And I think I still We might still have that question in 2026. Who is Canada's leading candidate in net right now? Jordan, Jordan Bennington. That's bad. That is not ideal. Who's America's? Connor Hellebuck? <laughs> the, Jake I'm, Ottinger? Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy Swayman? Thatcher Demko? This is not good. State, the states could donate their fifth goalie and that'd probably be Canada's starter. Unironically, yes. But this makes for great storylines. It's like you're looking at this team where you got these questions in the U.S. You know, they've been gelling. They got this t- crazy lineup of goaltenders. Who do they go with? It's for fans. It's the best. There's the the risk and it's going to happen no matter what. You know, a team sends a superstar over to the Olympics. They break their leg and then they're out for a playoff run. And that sucks. And there's a lot of boring stuff in the background, like who pays the insurance policy for that? How much insurance do you buy? Who's paying the the travel and the lodging? That's all fair, and you understand why it's in the negotiations. Much like the million-dollar prize for Connor McDavid winning the All-Star Skills competitions, fans will acknowledge that that's a thing, but they don't they don't care. Fans of the you know New York Islanders at the time were really upset when John Tavares got hurt. Overseas, that sucked. That was Tavares, right? It was Tavares, and that happened to Zetterberg too. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Zetterberg. Like that. That sucks, and you don't want to see that happen. But I don't want to say it's a price you pay, but 
you just have you see you it's have, part of the deal it's part of the deal you have to have the international best on best and for hockey that's olympics and even you know we talk about you know russia canada usa sweden's in there finland's in there think of the emerging nations like the emergence of german hockey over yeah. the years like they now want an opportunity to step on the biggest they want to see what the german national team can do when the the big scary canadians in the united states roll into town and yeah. see how they stack up i'm just i can't wait I cannot wait. We have not covered an Olympics on this podcast. We came close, but that then COVID is wild. ruined it. That is actually, oh yeah, COVID, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I guess we can't go to the Olympics now. No, but they were ready to go. They called that off, what, like a month before, if I remember correctly? It wasn't that long. I could not tell you the exact timeline. Yeah, COVID, the time all blends together. I'm sure Gary Bettman was devastated. Oh, right? Yeah, it was terrible. But now we get to... I and like thinking about these rosters now we get to talk about that again project the rosters and just early thoughts in my mind same way I felt about the world juniors going in USA is going to be a hard team on paper to beat they have the most balance of every team they've got really good forwards they have probably the best defensive group they definitely have the best goaltending group since Russia won't be participating in all likelihood they it's hard to not consider them the favorite now canada does have the you know true true game breakers mcdavid crosby mckinnon and that's not to say the us is lacking star power up front but not like those three mm-hmm. and they have the ability to take over a game and hopefully we can get a couple runs out of this because if the nhl and i fully agree with what you said earlier about they're eventually going to get their World Cup in rhythm and want to abandon the Olympics. But if we get best on best every two years, um, it's... Olympics, two years, World Cup, two years, Olympics, it's perfect because then these conversations can be ongoing. You know, uh, Sidney Crosby's out of the mix 10 years from now, but that Connor Bedard or Gavin McKenna or whoever the next one is, is now in this rhythm of every two years. Same thing for the States. You know, you have your... Austin Matthews right now, but in 10 years, we're having these same conversations with maybe James Haggins or whoever the next one coming out of the States is. And putting those types of players on this type of pedestal year after year after year after year is good for the sport too, because this is how I know international hockey has been in the background so much is um, Mika was going down just the YouTube rabbit hole this week and coming across hockey clips. And the one she came up, Cross was watching was the Crosby golden goal from 2010. And, you know, she's like, what was this? And I was explaining, oh, that was the Olympics. Oh God. And then I literally had to explain to her the whole concept. And I know she's, that is, that is like, not like that Mika should know what this is, but like the fact that there is a, a age demographic that does not understand that is wild to me. And they're old enough to have full conversations with you. Yeah. Mika's seven years old, turning eight soon. The last, so she was born in 2016. The last best on best tournament was two years before she was born. Yeah. This so this whole young demographic and she's seven, there's eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds who don't remember this and older. So you're not only are they learning what it's like to watch that type of awesome hockey, they're learning the concept. Yeah. Cause I had to explain to her, I'm like, yeah, Matthews and Larkin and all these guys, they're going to be on the same team. Like 
Think she, of how many Americans don't watch Quinn Hughes because he plays for Vancouver, and he's going to be their superstar, like one of their superstars. Well, I was even explaining to her, I was joking around with her because, you know, she hates the Leafs just like us. Austin Matthews is her most hated player in the league. And I had to explain to her, know. there's a non-zero chance he's playing on a line with Larkin and or Debrinket in one of these tournaments. So, you know, it's going to be a weird dynamic, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah. She thought that was super cool. But again, getting back to why the Olympics and a proper World Cup of hockey is important is it's advertising. You have an entire demographic that is unaware of it that will get them more involved in hockey now. We had a, in an overtime bonus episode recently. We, were, we had a, a pretty ridiculous conversation about hockey as culture and uh, sport as culture. And part of like hockey's culture, like if you're not building legacy, if you're not building memories and moments, if you're only concerned about – if you get too wrapped up in the business side of it, you lose, you know – a group, a generation of fans looking back fondly on, you know, the miracle on ice, the uh, Crosby's golden goal, like the old uh, Canada-Russia series, like all of these moments for any given country, uh, Sweden and Finland and all of their international successes and not just at the Olympic level, but the world junior level, like that has to, you're right, Brad, that has to come up as you're, you're developing your hockey story and you, you're growing up as a fan. It shouldn't just be about the NHL. And it's the only way sometimes that you're going to see. You're going to be exposed to these guys exactly how you mentioned. Like, you know, Larkin playing with Matthews, for example. It's a collision of worlds, but how cool is it to see? And it actually means something. The All-Star game is one thing. Oh, yeah, it's fun to see Larkin or Dabrinkit do well with a couple of stars, but... To see it when it actually matters and these guys are playing, like their guts are out there every single shift. They are, they would rather die than, you know, make a mistake that causes their country to lose a gold medal. The passion you see out there, that's what creates the memories for hockey fans. It's what creates legacy. It's so important. And I, I do think the league, begrudgingly, they understand that now. Anyhow, uh, the Four Nations Cup was another kind of a sidecar announcement to all of this. And that is essentially the NHL's stepping stone into what they hope to be the World Cups. The Four Nations Cup is going to be in 2025, a year before. What their ultimate plan is, is for it to be an offsetting cycle to the Olympics. So every four years, but on the two-year offset from the Olympics. So ideally in 2028 and then 2032, for example. Uh, but for now, just for scheduling purposes and planning, they're going to do it in 2025. And they are moving forward with their plan of just having a smaller tournament because they don't want to try to solve the Russia issue right now. So it's going to be the States, Canada, Finland, Sweden, and that's it. No Germany, no Russia, obviously, no Czechia, nobody else except for those four countries. And they're going to play a very limited uh, Four Nations Cup and that the NHL is going to kind of run. Overall, I, th I think this concept of the tournament's dumb, and I don't like it. I'll watch the games. It'll be good hockey. You're going to lose out on those underdog moments that make hockey, you know, different from other sports because, you know, a Czechia can beat Canada, as we just saw at the World Juniors. But what I do like this tournament for is I'm, I'm kind of looking at this as like a dry run to the main thing. How does it affect the schedule? How do players feel after this? You can get a lot of feedback from these four teams going okay, we like this, we didn't like that, this was a little taxing, didn't like this part of the schedule. However, they're going to break it down. It's a good stepping stone to see what they would have to change for a much bigger tournament. 
And in that sense, you know, it makes a ton of sense. I'm okay with it. You know, it's still four good hockey countries. It'll be really good quality of hockey. It won't, my biggest criticism is it won't feel like you've really won anything if you win it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even though you're beating, you know, three of the four top countries in the world, even if Russia and Czechia and whoever else isn't there, these are four obvious superpowers, but it's just, it doesn't have that same, you know, vibe, that reaction that, you know, we are the best, screw all of you. We are the dominant hockey power, but it's still going to be entertaining hockey and solve some problems going forward. I think, yeah, I feel the same way leading up to it. I'm going to just feel kind of crummy about the fact that it's not a full tournament, but I would bet anything that we're going to enjoy the hell out of it just because it's there and it's something. I think, I think it was either Leon Dreisaitl or David Pasternak had a good quote this weekend about the whole Four Nations Cup in the Olympics. And they basically said, yeah, it sucks. We're not part of the Four Nations Cup because we want to represent our country. But at the end of the day, we get the Olympics. So I'm happy about that. And if it was the inverse and we were part of the Four Nations Cup, but not going to the Olympics, he's like, I'd feel way worse. Yeah. So, you know, you take the wins where you can get them. My favorite part about this is that part of this Four Nations Cup is going to be hosted in Boston, which would be a chance to showcase their biggest superstar. David Pasternak. Who will not be participating. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of this as like, you know, like a, a, a pilot project. Yeah. It's kind of see, you get four countries who you know are very much like a, a, their, their international programs are, I'll say, uh, very well run, mm. kind of, we'll say. You know, you know they'll show up. They got the money. You, you kind of just overlook all that and they can just put on this tournament and there won't be like, oh, can we get X, Y, and Z country here to make it work? It's very much a pilot project to me. Yeah, if if they just said Olympics and nothing else, I'd be just as happy. So the yeah. fact that there's a little something extra, there's wrinkles to it, but you're right, Evan. You, you're going to take it for what it is. Okay, that is international best on best hockey. Let's get into some uh, other NHL news Actually, let's get into the press conference from you know, the All-Star Weekend. A uh, couple interesting points in there. Gary Bettman illuminated a little bit of the the Hockey Canada charges laid on the five uh, f- players, one of them a former NHLer and then four NHLers. Uh, essentially, you know, didn't say anything concretely, but he said he'd be surprised if they came back and played before the case was settled. So I think that was some, you know, hinting at what would and wouldn't be frowned upon in terms of those players playing. Uh, so as that legal process plays out, we'll see how that develops. Uh, as of right now, the players have been charged and have just all released statements through their various attorneys, et cetera. So we'll see how that one goes, uh, but I don't imagine they're going to be coming back to the NHL anytime soon. Notes about uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Less about less from Bettman and more from Marty Walsh, head of the NHLPA. He ripped into the Coyotes, ripped into them. They don't have an arena solution yet. I know there's a, there's a a meeting, uh, a, a public meeting where they're essentially going to be bidding for some land that they're hoping to develop on uh, coming up here. It could even be today if I have my dates right or wrong, but soon. Uh, but as of right now, they don't have a solid solution. And Marty Walsh on the player's behalf was, he did not hold back. He tore him a new one. Good. It's about time someone in a prominent position in the NHL world publicly acknowledges how ridiculous the situation is. Idiot podcasters like us for the last two years have been coming on our shows over and over and over again and saying, this is a professional sporting team. What in the hell 
is going on? How can this be allowed to happen? The NHLPA obviously has a vested interest in it because Arizona, as a losing venture, is losing money due to the CBA is costing the players to lose more money because it's a 50-50 split. If the owners are losing money on something, the players are also losing that money. And they know they have other viable markets. And obviously with Utah coming out saying, we'll do it now. Obviously the players are going to be on board with that because it's a more stable situation, a proper arena to play in. And more importantly, a team that is not likely to lose money, worst case scenario, not lose as much money. And Bettman, for all we criticize him about, he's very good about saying something without saying something, even going back to what you're talking about the case. I would be surprised if he can't say anything definitively. So he throws out a vague statement Mm -hmm. like that, which is, this is what I'm saying, but I can't legally say it. He's been so dodgy about the whole Arizona situation because he can't. What's he gonna say there? But. I don't think the NHLPA would spout off about something like this without proper motivation, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I think if I'm read it correctly, Marty Walsh said something about multiple missed deadlines. And that had to have been the straw that broke the camel's back for him to just pop off about it. I think the straw that broke the camel's back is that they've been trying to meet with the Coyotes more regularly on conditions uh, and uh, accommodations and amenities for the players within the scope of, you know, playing at Mullet Arena and, and working with what they have. And I'm not saying, like, the players are, you know, being starved and there's no hot water or anything. It's not like that. But, you know, there's certain things built into the CBA where teams have to meet and provide certain amenities for the players. And it could be anything from uh, transportation to and from the practice arena to the parking lot if they're so far away, for example. I don't know if that's a real one, but it could, it it gets into nitty-gritty stuff. And apparently... They just haven't been picking up the phone when the NHLPA has been calling. And, for, you know, if you're the NHLPA, and this isn't commentary on what Arizona is or isn't doing in terms of the, the arena, but I'm saying if you're the NHLPA and the team isn't even picking up when you call, you, you're you only as good as the force you can exert as a player's union, as a union. And so if they're if the, the weakest NHL team in terms of ownership standing is going to be not picking up the phone, you need to come out in force and and squash that. So I think that's a big part of what that was. In talking to people who are very way smarter than us uh, in terms of the Arizona situation, uh, I've talked to some folks who are very, very confident in this uh, new land bidding process that Arizona is going into. It's actually February 8th where I think that meeting or, or process starts. And so uh, they actually have quite a bit of optimism, especially relative to previous things. But as we've seen with the, the Coyotes, and as Brad just referenced, there have been a lot of arbitrary but missed deadlines to this point. So the NHL already feels like the clock has run out. The NHLPA is now pissed off because the Coyotes aren't really picking up the phone when they call to the point where they're getting blasted publicly. It's good that they're confident in this one. How many times have we heard they're confident in something and, and that's fallen through. Yeah. Sometimes of their own accord, sometimes not of their own accord. I think they've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of self-inflicted wounds here, but yeah, you're, you're not wrong, Evan. And it's, you're not going to hear the NHL come to a strong defense after the NHLPA really, you know, tore the coyotes a new one because yeah. they're the lowest hanging fruit. And everybody knows that this team is hemorrhaging money and it's just, not really worked out over, especially over the last 10 years. So 
everything is all sort of when it rains it pours everything's sort of happening all at once for arizona right now with the utah announcement the nhl talking about expansion again and now marty walsh coming out strong for the pa like maybe it's been a great all-star weekend but not for arizona no so they have to hope I know we've said this before, but this just genuinely does feel like a last ditch. So for friends who are in Arizona and anyone who wants to keep the Coyotes in Arizona, I'm glad there's optimism around this one because this does feel like their last opportunity. And I'll say what I've said in the past and has been said by a lot of other people. If they do leave Arizona, they'll come back. It's just too big of a metropolitan market to not come back. Come back once there's an actual arena there with a motivated ownership group. But... We'll see what happens. And even Bettman was talking expansion. It wasn't just Utah. Like Cincinnati was a new name that was thrown in there. Atlanta keeps injecting themselves into it uh, via a couple of members of the media where they they always seem to be the ones to have the scoops on the Atlanta announcements. Like all of this. And they don't even talk about Quebec City because that's just in their back pocket, right? Like the NHL has a lot of options. And one more thing I'll say about this is don't underestimate the valuation of franchises as part of this. The Ottawa Senators just sold for $950 million. And for an organization that had as much, has like that level of uh, uh, dysfunction and that many issues, that was a big haul for the Ottawa Senators to be able to sell for that much money. New expansion fees are going to be well over a billion dollars at this point. And that's a lot for the NHL. They're talking about $2 billion. This isn't just an NHL phenomenon. Like this is every single major professional sports league around the world has now caught up to the fact that billionaires have caught up to the fact that professional sports, popular ones, are printing money. So if the NHL wants to be charging $2 billion in the future, they can't have Arizona in this situation. I'm not paying a billion dollars when you're the second tenant in a college arena for one of your teams. Yeah, like, oh, I'm going to pay a $2 billion expansion fee and then three years later I'm going to be sharing revenue for a team who's – pulling in 4,000 people a night at best. Like, it's just not... Math does not work. You can't do that. Optically, it's bad. The numbers are bad. And it's uh, it's not a small league anymore. And everyone's doing this. In Formula One right now, there's a big uh, controversy because there's a... a ra- You'll know the name Andretti from uh, racing, like Mario Andretti, everyone knows that. And they're backed by GM, and they want to essentially come into Formula One. And they checked all the boxes they needed to to come into Formula One. But F1 turned them down because F1 realized that within their, uh, they call it a Concord agreement, until 2026, the new the new uh, franchise fee was $250 million. And they were like, that is literally less than a quarter of what we could be charging now. So they dragged their feet and found some, like, whatever excuse to turn them away. And they said, come back in 2028, and I guarantee you they're going to charge them north of a billion to $2 billion. Like, everyone knows this is what new sports franchises cost. So... The NHL is seeing this and saying we need to shed this situation Mm -hmm. one way or another. Sports and business, that's our segment. Okay, Uh, let's get into some actual hockey here. The trade, Montreal has a masterclass around Sean Monaghan. They acquired pieces to get him. They acquired pieces to get rid of him. Kent Hughes deserves a lot of accolades uh, they traded Sean Monahan to the Winnipeg Jets, who are making a run of it this year, in exchange for the Jets' 2024 first-round pick and a conditional 2027 third that uh, Montreal will receive if Winnipeg wins the Cup this year. So essentially, a first-round pick and then an outside shot at a third in a few years. But Sean Monahan gets a first. 
Yeah, there's a couple things to keep in mind here that pull at both ends of this making sense of this deal, I'll say. One, the center market, much like in the draft, is crazy once teams start to panic. There's not a lot of centers available. Once the biggest domino with Elias Lindholm fell, Winnipeg didn't want to be left sitting at the table without one. So they overpaid to get probably not the next best center on the market available. Maybe that might be Adam Henrique, but one of the better centers on the market so that they didn't get shut out in the process. And also there's a, I don't want to call consensus, but a majority opinion that this upcoming NHL draft where a lot of these picks are going to be swapped really falls off around pick 20. So if there's a team that's sitting in Winnipeg's position where their pick is likely going to be somewhere between 22 and 32, they're not going to be hard pressed to move it because it might not be worth what it is other years. So that could be playing into this decision because I don't think there's anybody out there who thinks Sean Bonhan's worth a first round pick. Not one rational person I've read an opinion on has said he's worth a first round pick, but the two caveats I have seen are the two I mentioned, which is not many centers available and teams need them. And the draft, these late first round picks this year just might not be worth holding on to if you can make a run of it with someone this year. It just, it scares me for what the market is. Like that sets the tone now with the the two trades so far, where if you're getting into the trade market this year, which the Red Wings shouldn't be, but. I'd say with the exception of if they can get someone long-term. But yeah, those, you're always trading for term, but those are quote unquote off-season moves. Those prices, that's a, that's a high price. I don't like, I don't know. I don't necessarily hate it from Winnipeg's side. I do think it's a steep price. It's it's an overpayment for a premium position with a draft pick that they probably don't need. It's the same situation as Vancouver. You're way better than you expected this year. You're actually one of the best teams in the NHL right now. If you can do something to make a run of it, you absolutely do it because you don't know if you're going to be this good next year because you didn't think you'd be this good this year. So, yeah, go for it. But it sets... That's a high price. I would also argue Winnipeg has more urgency to do something like this than Vancouver did because Winnipeg's core and their top players are much older Mm -hmm. than Vancouver's. So their window is closing quicker. So it makes sense to try to capitalize on the last couple of years. They're probably going to be at this level. We will see how the trade market develops. Okay. Uh, The LA Kings have let go of head coach Todd McClellan, who up until this season was, I think, doing a phenomenal job there. Uh, Everyone was, uh, he was held in really high regard in terms of the work that he was doing with the Kings. Their kind of rebuild on the fly really did work with some luck, but they were able to move up. They made a lot of good moves in the GM space and they started the season really well. They looked like a powerhouse at points and they have just been absolutely terrible over the last, I think, what, 20 or so games they're still in a wild card spot right now, but it seems like they're trying to stem the bleeding. And uh, it's it, that was the end of the line for McClellan. So they're hoping for the same kind of jolt that Edmonton got, that other teams got. But that is, he'll be a, a very sought after head coach on the market. To me, it felt very Jay Woodcroft ish. Mm-hmm. You know, is it fair to Todd McClellan that he gets fired because the team can't get up for games and can't win? Maybe. You know, that's the life of a coach, though. You're only, your tenure is only as good as 
long as the message is getting through to players and results are happening. So, yeah, Tom McClellan has been really good in L.A., and obviously I think he'll have another job in the NHL sooner rather than later. But those are the the moves teams make all the time to sort of try and uh, right the ship and get things back on track. Your tenure is only as good as your goalie. And if you look at Cam Talbot splits this season. It started off, like, Cam Talbot was good to start the season. And L.A. was good. (laughs) And it's hard to let go of a coach with the playoff track record that Todd McClellan has. He hasn't won a playoff series. I was going to say, yeah. Not with L.A. anyway. You you say your, your coaching tenure is only as good as your goalie. I think hockey's funny because you have... You know, we have a podcast dedicated to one team and we record how many hours a week and so much conversation, all the discourse and the GM moves and everything. And honestly, some days I feel like they're, all hockey boils down to is how good is your goalie that night? Like how the, whatever powerhouse team you have going into the playoffs, how far you go in the playoffs will depend how hot your goalie is. Not even how good he is because you'll randomly get Dwayne Rollison sending you to the cup finals. Like that's how weird and stupid hockey is. It's a lot of days I feel like, yeah, we, we do all of this and it's just a bunch of, it's decoration on the walls. The structure is all just, how's your goalie feeling it that night? Yeah, I'm just looking at the standings and, you know, the, the teams with elite level goaltending are almost, other than the Islanders, are almost all near the top of their divisions. There's one team that I would say is getting significantly above average goaltending, not in a playoff spot this year, and that's Calgary. Yeah, Markstrom's really... Arizona, too. Yeah. Calgary and Arizona, because Ingram's been really good this year as well. Markstrom's really turned it around. He's had a phenomenal season. Yeah. And the the raw numbers don't show up because of how bad that team is. But if you're a believer in goal saved above expected, he's actually been at the top of the league for good chunks of the season. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the show, you get access to a lot of great benefits. For example, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast, vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. You get access to our Discord as well as uh, access to all of our Patreon exclusive overtime bonus episodes and any additional bonus content that we record. Those are a blast. I can't even begin to tell you how off the rails they get at times, but it's a lot of fun for us to record and hopefully for you to listen to. So again, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. It's how we do everything, host the show, uh, Wind Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA and with the Grand Rapids Griffins, uh, support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, a lot more. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. Okay, I'm going to read this comment from Red Feather Desert Dogs, very well versed in the Arizona space. Uh, they live out there and often give us a view that we don't see. So I think for the sake of uh, showing the other side of the argument, I'll read this one out. Uh, They say, uh, I see Marty Walsh was complaining about the Coyotes not keeping him informed on their arena situation, and that got a lot of press. Obviously, we talked about it today. What didn't get headlines was that when Walsh was asked if he'd reached out to Arizona, he did his best impression of a jilted sophomore uh, by essentially saying no because they promised to call me. I get what Walsh's job is, but he came off a little petty in that moment, and his friends uh, and press covered for him really well. I get what his job is, but the fact is Walsh has zero control over the Coyotes arena situation and Alex Morello and here on completely different sides of the political spectrum. Marty Walsh's side of the aisle ran one of the greatest uh, campaigns uh, against the Tempe propositions and were ultimately successful in getting them defeated. So if Morello believes that the operational security is paramount, especially when he comes to uh, potential adversaries uh, in the arena kind of debacle, 
So be it. At the end of the day, Morello has to put the success of his project over a union guy's feelings, just like Walsh has to put his players' interests over a team's, whether he's negotiating a CBA or an ELC. There's so much in the back end of this that I just we're not exposed to. Like mm-hmm. so much of that is like news to me. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the NHLPA's internal priority is for the Arizona Arena thing to fail, so they can get them out of there quicker. I'm wondering how antagonistic that relationship is between the NHLPA, like the the players' union, and the Coyotes. In any case, it's another perspective on it. All right. Uh, let's take a couple more questions here. Here are two on Lucas Raymond. Uh, one from Give Wellman the Heart, and then uh, there's another one right after from the Mexinadian. I'll read them consecutively. This uh, Give Wellman the Heart says, what's the best comparable in the league for a Lucas Raymond extension for both a long-term contract and a bridge? I saw Owen Tippett just signed an 8 times 6.2. Is it in that ballpark? And the Mexinadian says, what type of player do you see Raymond becoming? Personally, I think he'll end up being more of a Perron than just a pure goal scorer. I think contract's probably going to fall somewhere between Boldy and Tippett. I, th- I still think Boldy's probably the best comp. Yeah, I agree. Uh, based on age, production, style of player, etc. What do I expect Raymond to be? Hard to say. Uh, Perron's probably on the low end of what Raymond could be. I mean, he is on pace for over 70 points this year, and he's, what, 21 years old yeah so you know a good almost point per game winger who doesn't really kill penalties there's a lot of them out there Uh, so i guess the answer would just come down to most comparable production you know as i watch lucas raymond more and more i get this impression where you pull yourself out of the moment you pull yourself over his out of like the the conversation about his last 10 games and just think about the player you're right, Brad. He's still so young, and he's already putting up this many points. I think he's just been thrust into a position where there's no other Red Wings to be doing this for the most part. There are a couple of guys, but in general, like he was a fourth overall pick, and everyone was like, oh, he's going to save this team. And I think to a degree, he has saved a lot of the offensive woes on this team. But the the conversation at around his development gets too pointed, too heavy, too aggressive, and forgetting that not a lot of time has passed. If you think about what Lucas Raymond is going to be, I think he's going to be a fantastic player long-term. Like you've seen this, a guy who does really, really well and really good, but isn't perfect when they're young and everyone kind of writes them off. And all of a sudden when they're 24, 25, they just pop off and they're a game changer a lot of nights. And maybe not Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisettle or whatever, but a player where you look back and you're like, oh, we were stupid about him and forgot that he was 20, 21 years old. Gives me that strong vibe of, you know, you you sign him to a contract and at first you might be like, oh, that's a lot of money. But in years three, four, five, six, and hopefully more, you're like, wow, this is an amazing deal. I can't believe we have a player like this on our team. Mm-hmm. And especially with the cap going up, if you can keep him in that boldy range, I think that's really like a really strong spot to put him. Uh, it's not a guarantee. They're much like we talk about the prospects, like think about Casper, Mazur, uh, Edvinson, Johansson, all those guys. Not all of them are going to pan out. It's just That's just the way it works. And the same goes for guys who are really good when they're young in the NHL. But things are going very, very favorably for Raymond. Question about another young star. Hockeytown Racing Academy says, Mort Sider, most underrated player in the NHL? 
hard to say underrated when there's been so much discourse around him lately. You could make a case for it because a lot of people seem to not like him for some reason, and that would put him in the underrated category. I could see it. There's a lot of players around the league, though, that we haven't heard of or talked about that probably fit better into that camp, I would say. You know, Thomas Harley in Dallas. How many people mm-hmm. listening right now know how good he's been this year? But Yeah, Sean wrote a really good piece I, on Shap Shots. That's, yeah, that's what tipped me off on it because I was completely unaware of how good Thomas Harley was this year. And we knew he was that. a good prospect. Yeah, oh, 100%. Nobody had given up on Thomas Harley or thought he was a bust or anything, but I had not realized he had popped off like that. I think Moritz Sider is an underrated player, but to me, he's still, and probably through no fault of his own, he's still not having the type of season where you can say that's the most underrated player in the NHL. You want to know what my answer is? Alex Barkov. I think it's Barkov again. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) I think it is. You're you're doing a bit, right? No, I swear. I I think he went from actually the most underrated player, and people talked about it so much that he it became like a meme. And he was probably a little bit. You overrated. can't be underrated twice. I think he. I think it's underrated <laughs> twice. I think it's Barkov. He just won a most underrated poll, and if you win a most underrated poll, you're not underrated. I think Barkov's up there, man. Whoever I, lost that poll is the real underrated quick, player. Without, quick, without looking, how many points do you think Mike Matheson has this season? Thirty-five. Okay, there's the answer. It's Mike Matheson. How many? How many points does he have? Oh, he's around that, if not more. Huh. Math is actually Matheson is a very and he's been a good answer for a long time. That's a very good answer. Uh, I think people are getting wise to it. Like I think people understand. But Sam Reinhardt, what he's doing this season. Yeah, I was gonna say Parkoff's not even the most underrated player on his own team. Yeah, but is that? Uh, yeah, I just think. I think Barkov's there. I think it's funny that how many guys go under the radar because they're a really good player on a a team that just is already stacked. Like how many stars has Dallas hidden away? Like who knows. How many people know how good Wyatt Johnson is? Anybody who uh, had multiple picks ahead of him in the... (laughs) Oh, and just like that, we're wrapping up this episode of the Winged Wheel (laughs) Podcast. Okay, I will be back with you on Wednesday, folks. There's uh, another interview coming up, like I mentioned. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Uh, If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. And if you're a listener of old, uh, glad we can give you a newsy kind of episode in the middle of the All-Star break. Uh, To all of our patrons, we could not do this without you. As you see... Uh, sometimes there's sponsorships, sometimes there's not. So uh, really the heart and soul of this show is, is our Patreon supporters. So, uh, you all mean the world to us. Thanks for joining the dub dub club and to all of our name level supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Ashley Van Konick, Croner's left knee, Sea Lion, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brad Shin Extension Baggins, Bring dogs on the show. Yeah, maybe we should bring the dogs on the show. Tully is, um, Tully's a lot like Hank in a lot of ways. We've been talking about that. So I could bring him on here, but just getting him out is a little bit of a challenge. Uh, Carl, Britannia, Nanaluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop, Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Drop the Gloves, Eric Shun, God Creatives, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Jonathan Miller, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, RA, Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciate about you, Woman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, 
Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Axel Sandy Pelica, Bellingham Acid Balls, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron, the Cheeseback Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snipshow, Derek James, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy. If I had three punches to the face to dole out between the three of you, I'd punch Ryan three times. Hell yeah. <laughs> James Pridemore. Hey, that's three votes right there. Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, X formerly A.A. Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. Talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.